Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi Williams, and this is the Are the Commanders for Sale? Sports Business Podcast, The Sportacast. Going to use a word I've never used on the podcast, at least I don't believe, excellent intonation. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. The, by, by, uh, by going up an octave or two, I clearly know that you have questions here. You, you signaled, uh, are they? Yeah, now I know you have questions. And But why? Tell me, Evan Novi Williams, didn't Dan Snyder put out a statement? Uh, if I read all the things out there, didn't he put out a statement that said he's selling the Washington Commanders? Didn't I read that? Bank of America is selling the Commanders? A very, very vaguely and specifically worded statement coming from the Washington Commanders on Wednesday morning. The Commanders, Dan and Tanya Snyder, have retained Bank of America to explore possible transactions. That's essentially all that the statement says. And there's two ways to read that, Scott, and I think that's exactly where, where we're going to have this conversation. One is, Dan Center could be selling a controlling stake or all 100% of the Washington Commanders would be a huge deal. One of the most valuable sports franchises in the world would fetch a higher price than anyone has ever paid for a sports franchise anywhere in the globe ever. Or, is Dan Snyder looking for minority partners, maybe trying to bring on a little bit of LPs, ease a little bit of the debt that he has, in which case this is a very different story, right? The, the, the question is, is he ceding control of this team or is he cementing control of this team? Well, uh, you didn't like my idea for after the comma, you know, words that can say what happened. You know, I say they put out a statement, comma, it, it triggered, it, it triggered jubilation. It triggered confusion. It triggered many, many things. But yeah, I, th- I think you can't just knee-jerk this one. You, you don't know what Dan Snyder has in mind. Like We do know that Dan has, for some time, been adamant about holding on to the team, that he would not be forced out. And we should, of course, the whole thing is shrouded in, in controversy with the Mary Jo White report and the culture surrounding the team. And did they try to block the investigation? So yeah, and then we're still waiting on the results of the NFL investigation to see exactly where things sit. I get it. But has something changed or is this simply Dan proceeding? Or, you know, it could be very smart from a strategy perspective, just seeing what's out there without, you know, saying, all right, I'm not going to give you financials. I'm not, you know, already that uh, how, how many incoming inquiries do you think Bank of America has already had? on what's going on i'd like to i'd like to throw my hat in the ring i i just want to know uh, is it for sale how many do you think they they fielded there uh at bank of america i think probably a lot yes. and and i say that knowing that every nfl team that goes up for sale as valuations appreciate there's fewer and fewer people that just have the money have the cash on hand to be able to afford a purchase like this it's a smaller and smaller subset of people it's a smaller subset for the commanders but you keep you keep talking for, you for keep talking because i, I want to do this like subliminal advertising like when it's like drink coke drink coke you you keep talking and, and, and in a hushed tone underneath you i'm going to go Exactly. Exactly. There's a big kahuna out there. Jeff Bezos, one of the richest men in the world, owner of the Washington Post, ironically, one of the publications that has probably done the most investigative reporting around uh, misconduct and harassment in the commander's organization since Dan Snyder bought the team. Uh, Jeff Bezos would be 
probably the, the the most likely big big name. But Scott, there's tons. You know, when when Chelsea was for sale, when the Broncos were for sale, there were people that wanted those franchises that didn't live in Denver or live in London. There, there's a level of international appeal and business sense that comes with essentially any NFL franchise. And with Washington, we just happen to have one of the most valuable ones. You've got the power center of the country. Yep. And as I have told you before, I have heard owners or prospective owners tell me when they're evaluating a franchise, they take out the compass, they they do, they mm-hmm. go to a map and they say, how wide do I have to open it up to be a two-hour uh, radius for so I can sleep on my my own pillow and in my own home two hours after the game. This, I, and I've taken the, I'm going to go back a while, the U.S. Air Shuttle many, many times from New York to D.C., and I can tell you it ain't that long a flight. So now you're bringing in the New York money. You're bringing in global money because it's the power center. Obviously, there are folks with D.C. ties that are obviously interested here. Uh, you know, Ted Leonsis is looking at the baseball team, the Nationals. And by the way, we, did, we didn't even mention this that we have a team available in all four major U.S. sports. Yep. Now, may, maybe, but there's something with the Commanders, <laughs> right? Again, we, get, we, have, we started with that. Something with the Commanders. We have the Phoenix Suns in the NBA. We have the Ottawa Senators, which we're going to get to. We broke that story in the NHL, and we have the Nationals with Major League Baseball that my guess is, and your guess is, Ted Leonsis will wind up And baseball. the Angels in MLB. Correct, yep. correct, correct. Yeah. So, you know, we haven't seen something like this in... in my God, my lifetime, I don't remember a team at all for major sports being available. And some are, some seem to me, oh, not forced sales, but uh, controversy surrounded sales where uh, perhaps if um, some controversies had not gone public, these owners would not even be entertaining uh, selling their clubs. So. Yeah, and two of these clubs, the Nationals and, and the Commanders, both play in D.C. And I want to highlight a point that you just made about the, the, the power structure for some prospective billionaires, depending on where he or she, their main money comes from, depending on what industry they're in, there can be a real advantage to owning a sports team in D.C. The, if you look at who throws out, for example, who throws out the first pitch at Nationals games, it's a very different uh, set of people that, than you see at any other baseball team in the country. There are senators, there are Supreme Court justices that are regulars at sporting events in the D.C. area. That doesn't mean something to everyone, but there are a lot of billionaires out there for whom that could actually be a really valuable thing for, for the main source of their wealth and, and the main source of their family's wealth. So now, now you want me to go and check out all the lobbying dollars and say, <laughs> who lobbies? Who's got the biggest lobbying budget? And say, my God, it'd be cheaper to just own the commanders and have those folks into my suite at, at and, halftime. And, and you know full well, Scott, that, that very often people buy or invest in sports teams, not just because they, they want to be a, a sports team owner, but because there is actually real tangible business value outside of that ownership stake for them and, and, and their other businesses. And this holds true now that I'm thinking about it. It holds true for Ottawa as well. If there's a Canadian, uh, a, a very wealthy Canadian who, who who wants to be kind of closer to the power structure in, in the Canadian government, Ottawa is the capital city. So some of these franchises, I think there's an extra layer here for some people in terms of interest in buying into these teams just because of how close they are to the government structures of both countries. Now, our stories, Eben, they're like our children. We don't like to play favorites, but I will <laughs> tell you, one of my favorite stories that I wrote over the years was a Business Week story on why do people buy 1%, 2% of a team? Like, what, mm-hmm. what, what motivates them 
to go and spend whatever it may be for that, you know, even half a percent, whatever it might be. And yes, the knee jerk reactions say, oh, it's the ego play. Oh, I own a piece of a team. And that is part of it. That's part of GP as well, general partners. The ego is certainly a part of it. But some of the best anecdotes that I came up with were Peter Kors told me that they bought into, the Kors family bought into the Colorado Rockies because they thought it would give them a leg up on the naming rights to the stadium. And Success. well, <laughs> guess where the Rockies play? Coors yep. Field. So it worked. It was it was it was a a tactical decision that being a minority partner would certainly give them a leg up. Now, did they have to pay the same as what somebody else might have been wrong? I don't know. I don't have the details. But the thought process was we will have an advantage on getting naming rights. That was the tactical decision that was made and it turned out to be fine. Then I also spoke to uh, uh, Peter Nordstrom. Uh, and you know the Nordstrom family used to own, and this is like the downside of it all, they used to own the Seattle Seahawks. And he told me when his father owned the club, and if they traded a player that was popular, or if the team was bad, or they lost a bad game, they would routinely get cut-up credit cards back for Nordstrom credit cards from fans of the team. That's so that's some of the, the downside. And I had people tell me, yeah, uh, they negotiated into their LP agreement the right to uh, host a business meeting with the cheerleaders of a certain team or on the 50-yard line or in the locker room. That was something that gave them an advantage in their core business that they would know in no other way would they be able to do if they weren't a 1% owner of the team. So uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating to see the motivation of why. Why would you buy into to the commanders? Um, myriad reasons. But we still don't know what Dan Snyder is doing, although you have you have theories like we've spoken to people. I love this doing the reporting work to understand what's the situation and what he might be looking at. Yeah. And one of those theories to, to kind of play out the LP thing for, for a little bit more, there's certainly reasons why people might want to be invested in the Washington commanders as an LP. The uh, other side of that coin is that Dan Snyder has proven in the past uh, to, to not get along with his minority partners. Just a few years ago, there was a trio of uh, of people who held all of the equity in, in the commanders that Dan did not own. It was uh, Dwight Shar, Fred Smith, and Robert Rothman. They were constantly at odds with each other, both publicly and in court documents. Eventually, the end result, they both accused each other of bad faith dealing, spreading misinformation. Uh, eventually, Dan bought out those partners. It was an $875 million deal. He took on a lot of debt Where did to, he get to the fund money for that, that transaction. And that, and that's the, that's the question, right? We, we know that Dan took on a lot of debt. I believe Bank of America, sensing some ties here, <laughs> Bank of America is the holder of some of that debt. But look, if Dan's real goal here is to essentially alleviate some of the debt, sell some LPs, um, this is a very different conversation, right? And, and, and one of the things that he can do here is he can sign, because there are new agreements, he can bring on LP money with limited rights, less rights than that trio of LPs had before whoever this new group is. And that can be anything, Scott, from uh, less insight into financial documents to board seats and voting. There can be non-disparagement clauses, which I don't believe uh, existed in the prior LP agreements, at oh, least not the way that, that they were time. exercised. <laughs> There's a whole lot of ways in which uh, this whole buy out the other LPs, uh, take on some debt, and then a couple of years down the line, maybe sell future LPs. There's a way in which that works out with Dan just having more control and more say in the future of the commanders than he did two years ago 
when he had three LPs that were at odds with him constantly and had more rights than he might give away in the future. So that's right. one possibility right there. All right. And there's also another big name who invests in a lot of things these days. Now, I am not going to talk about this person as a general partner. You must be a multi-multi-billionaire if you're going to be the general partner of the person that buys the Washington commanders, if they are indeed whole hog. Yeah. That, that, by the way, that was intended whole hog. If you're young, younger football fans, if you don't get a uh, commander's Redskins hog reference, go look up Joe Jacoby and friends. Um, but uh, Kevin Durant, you know, fr- from the area, believe he has a tattoo of the, uh, of the team logo. So my, my, my guess would be we're going to have a, a bevy of prominent people who come forth and say, you know, if this thing is for sale, whoever the GP is, I would love to be an investor in that group. And I bet you KD certainly can be one of them. He, he's probably got Rich Kleiman already making calls saying, just find out what the deal is. And if, if anything is for sale, I want in. So to widen this conversation, Scott, a little bit to, to, to what you alluded to about all the other franchises that are for sale right now, we put this poll on Twitter about an hour before you and I recorded this. We have almost 100 votes right 46, now. 46,000 responses. Unbelievable. <laughs> if only, if only. Um, looking at the, these teams that are for sale, I'll, I'll read you the question. You can give me your answer. Um, which of these franchises for sale right now, and I'll give you the Sportico valuation number, is the best investment right now? We have the Washington Commanders, the NFL, 4.78 billion is the is the Sportico number. We have the uh, Los Angeles Angels, Major League Baseball, 2.5 billion. Phoenix Suns, NBA, 1.92 billion. And then the Senators, NHL, 655 million. Scott, if I gave you a wad of cash, told you you had to put it in one of these things and, and capture the appreciation percentage, where are you going to get the most? I'm going to the NFL. Uh, tried and true cash register, particularly, particularly name brand, big. I mean, this is a marquee brand, the commanders. I'll take it. Uh, geographic location, nation's capital, close to New York. Absolutely, I want that too. And there's also another opportunity there. And we discuss this all the time that it's not enough. Prospective owners do know, maybe in the NFL they do, but prospective owners for the most part do not want turnkey. They want a media opportunity or a real estate play. And let us not forget that there is a major real estate play here with the commanders. A new stadium. I bet we're going to look at one of these entertainment districts. These, these types of ancillary businesses are cash cows. I, and we already know, just based on the share of national revenue, we know that every team in the NFL is profitable. Now add on your local stuff, and you have a fervent fan base down there in D.C. So you're going to sell all your suites. You have no problem covering all that. And then you add on it the ancillary businesses that you can create around that brand. I want this team and all the money that's going to come with it. Yeah, the, the first half of what you just said, a lot of that also applies to the Ottawa Senators. And we can get into the news that we broke earlier this week. The Ottawa Senators, the the, the family of, of Eugene Melnick, who passed away earlier this year, have retained Sal Galatioto, Galatioto Sports Partners, to facilitate a potential sale of that NHL franchise. It's got another team that, that needs a new building, 
They play very far out in the suburbs outside Ottawa. They have a memorandum of understanding, possibly for a new arena development, a little bit closer to downtown. I think both a new venue and one that's located in a better place is probably a really good thing. But hockey's never going to catch on in Ontario. I'm telling you, (laughs) hockey in Ontario just doesn't work. (laughs) Yeah, a a really interesting. And I actually voted for the senator just because I am I am bullish on uh, on hockey as a property. But really curious to see what uh, what happens up in Ottawa. There have been a few NHL sales in the past few years. Fenway Sports uh, Group bought the Penguins, about $900 million. And then Bill Haslam, who we talked about on, on the show earlier this week, uh, going to buy in the process of buying the Nashville Predators, currently values the, the team at about $775 million. Who knows if, if Ottawa goes above or below that if the team is sold. But what are your thoughts on the Senators being on the market? I like the idea of any Canadian team for sale in the NHL. I'm interested in. Yeah, you, you, you know, I I see it firsthand. I get it. Any Canadian team, I'm interested. A, a team again in Ontario, I'm interested. You always hear about maybe a second Toronto team. You know, something. No, no, no. I'll I'll take the nation's capital, hockey in Ontario. I'm sold. I'm sticking with the NFL because I just see sort of the the sports betting, I see the media rights escalation, I see global opportunity. Let's let's remember I just got back from London where we hosted a whole bunch of sports executives and you know Rob Walton, the owner of the Broncos was there, Shad Khan, the owner of the Jaguars were there. They were there playing each other. Um so I I see a commitment to global expansion, a mindset from the NFL owners. And I know the NHL just had a game or or coming up in Finland. I get it. I just think there's more upside globally and from technology and from sports betting in the NFL than anywhere else. That's all. I'm not down on the senators at all. I think it's a, I think it's a great play. You just asked me for the best one. And I still think that's the NFL in a major market with a great brand. One of the things, whenever we break a big piece of news about a specific fan base, I'm always curious to see how the fan base reacts, looking at Twitter replies and retweets and things like that, what they're talking about, about that franchise. The overwhelming thing I saw about the Senators was people, it seemed like, from Houston tagging Tillman Fertitta, talking about the possibility of that team relocating possibly to Texas. It seems, and I think you would probably agree with me here, I think it is extremely unlikely that the Ottawa Senators are going anywhere. This is, as you said, it is Canada. It's Ontario. It is the the home. Pl- it is where hockey is most popular uh, in, in the globe, probably. Gary Bettman has been very adamant in the past that he does not. Uh, he, he prefers any other option besides relocation. Um, I have heard and I, I understand that maybe Tillman Fertitta would like to have an NHL team in Houston next to his Rockets. But uh, for anyone who's listening up in Canada who might be curious, again, I think it is extremely unlikely that the Ottawa Senators are playing anywhere but Ottawa in the near future. Agree. And of course, you've got Quebec sitting there. You used to have the Nordiques. Um, hello, Michel Goulet. Hello, Peter Stastny, if I may. Uh, if I have my history right and I'm doing this extemporaneously, it was Quebec to Denver to New Jersey. Then Denver gets a team back with the Avalanche. Um, yeah, I don't see Gary pulling another team out of Canada to put it in a, in a southern U.S. city. Uh, if I'm Tillman Fertina, I guess I'm eyeing the Arizona Coyotes. And I know they, uh, Gary has been loathed now for relocation. Uh, they're playing in a 5,000-seat arena. It's a cool thing, a cool experiment. I'm headed to Phoenix uh, this week. I'm excited to see you know, what we have. Uh, we have our friends, uh, Javier Gutierrez and the others with the Coyotes. I'm, I'm curious to see 
you know, they're trying to get a new building there, or they, or they will have a new building. Um, yep, very, very interested to see how it shakes out with a current building. A team owner wants a second tenant, but it ain't coming from Canada. I would be beyond shocked if uh, if another team left Canada for the U.S. So here's a, another question for you, and I actually asked you this question earlier this year when the Broncos and Chelsea were both for sale simultaneously. In, in those conversations, we had some of the same names. I believe both Josh Harris and Todd Bowley uh, were, were, were part of groups that were looking at both. I imagine with all of these teams, the Suns, the Angels, the Nationals, the, the Commanders, the Senators, I imagine we'll have some people that are interested in at least uh, two, if not more, of these franchises. Is there any... Do you ever hit a point where it's too much? Are are are, are people and their bankers able to explore multiple deal, multiple big billion dollar deals simultaneously, or is there an effect here of supply and demand where there's just a lot more supply suddenly in the market for multi billion dollar sports teams? Well, you know the answer is a simple yes because we had multiple people looking at Chelsea and the and the Broncos at the same time. Yeah, so we we know that is certainly doable. And then if you don't get it, they turn their attention to another team, perhaps one of the baseball teams that came on the market. So yeah, no, there's certainly um, a bifurcated uh, process for some of these would-be buyers looking around for whatever's on the market. You, you kick the tires on everything and see what makes most sense. So I, I'm still I'm still bullish. We hear a lot of, well, you know, the price of these things are escalating at a point where there's you just don't have enough buyers and you're trimming the pool. The NFL is going to have to change the rules again. They're going to have to allow outside capital. I don't think they will. Um, you have enough people. Uh, you only need a good handful of folks who can, as they say in the business, cut the check. And you have enough people with enough wealth that can cut the check that are interested or have expressed interest in these pro sports franchises. And it's not as if the commissioner, the commissioners just sit there waiting for a team to come on the market and then say, oh, maybe we ought to look around. Hmm. There's a runway of prospective buyers and uh, probably some we don't even know about. Probably now some who are looking to get involved. Um, so this is a this is an ongoing process. It's not just a, oh, okay, team's for sale. Now let's look around and uh, maybe we put up a flyer at the supermarket. You know, you pull the little tab and see if you're interested. Call this number. You get some piano lessons with it. Uh, I mean, this is an on this is an ongoing process. So the leagues are quite familiar with many, not all, with many of the people who are interested or have expressed interest in owning one of their teams. One of the things I heard a lot a couple of years ago, right as COVID onset, and then right as people were beginning to realize how bad COVID might be for entertainment and live sports businesses uh, was that there was going to be on the back end a, a rush of teams that were for sale as people realized, oh, I, I might want to take some money off the table or I just spent a lot of money to carry the franchise for X and Y. Um, it doesn't seem like a lot of these are related to that. Certainly the the Suns sale does not appear to be, I think you could make an argument that if Dan Snyder wants to sell the commanders, it probably was not COVID related in, in any capacity. But do, do you think that we are in, 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 in store for, do you think there's going to be any kind of longer lasting effect around COVID around this? Or do you think these are just coincidences of, of, a, of a lot of different circumstances just happening to hit at the same time? I think we're in store for more around this. If the, this is not COVID and instead is past behavior. Hmm. I think there's more of that or this that we're going to see. Uh, and I believe any owner worth his salt 
has already commissioned the investigation into his own or her own franchise to find out not only my skeletons, but other skeletons, what lurks in the closet here that can get my franchise in trouble. And if they haven't, they have, they, then they are, they are delinquent in their duty to the franchise. So I wonder how many, what, what was one of the, uh, what did the ESPN story say with Dan Snyder? He, he was looking to uh, out some of the misbehavior of the other owners, right? Keep, keeping files on some of his fellow Yeah, keeping uh, fellow files, owners. true or not, whatever. Uh, my guess is that there are a good number, and I don't, what, 120-something sports in the major four, right? 150-something, yeah. 150, or major okay. five, yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, I, I don't want to put a number on it, <laughs> but I would be willing to wager a pretty penny that there's at least a handful of owners in those major four leagues, and let's add MLS so we can up the number, that could not withstand a lot of sunlight into previous behavior, both personally and within the franchise. So, you know, maybe they're just waiting for shoes to drop. And, and the paradox of that is that it it also probably means it's harder to vote some of these owners out because, as we've said on this show before, a lot of owners look at all this and think, if we set I'm a next. precedent here with that person, what happens when, when when something comes up about about my franchise and my ownership, et cetera? So I, I agree with you. I think there's probably a lot more out there. I also think it is, in some reason, that the fact that there's a lot more out there also makes it, in some weird and weird paradox, harder. Uh, in some ways for leagues to handle a lot of these problems. But to your point, we could have a couple NWSL franchises that come up for sale in the near, near future for the same reason. And the who knows? premier NWSL franchise. Yeah, one of the premier. And and, and who knows what's going to happen in Portland with the uh, with the Timbers as well. One of the one of the more valuable teams in major league soccer. So there's, there's a lot, uh, there's a lot kind of swirling around this topic. And I think you're right. I think we have not by any means seen the end of these either forced sales in sports or an owner who realizes, recognizes that it's time to, to, to maybe move on and let someone else take control. Man, I, I, I think we were on a downer there. Let's bring it up here. Uh, <laughs> people who LPs and people who want to be involved in investors, uh, I loved when I first saw the cap table for Tomorrow Sports and for people who don't really recognize the name yet, that's sort of the golf business for Tiger uh, Woods and Rory McIlroy put together sort of this uh, made-for-TV golf event business and going to bring in tech and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see uh, making golf cool. It's not the 18 holes anymore, um, but uh, a who's who. It's almost easier to say who's not. So in the huge celebrity business world, I'm going to tell you LeBron James and Michael Jordan are not, (laughs) not investors in tomorrow's sports. Everybody else that we discuss on a regular basis is an investor. And I say that, you know, tongue in cheek, but it sure seems that way. I'll let you rattle on on some of them, but it is an impressive cap table. And I'm sure, by the way, we don't know how much each of these people put in. It could be a nominal amount just to get yourself on. I, I get it. And it's excellent, excellent promotion. They, they know what they're doing. But I mean, all right, I'm going to start it off just because I want to have some fun yeah. and say David Blitzer and John Henry. I'll oh, go sure. sort of the existing <laughs> owner 
that's pretty cool. Now you take it away with the sizzle. Yeah, some other owners include Arthur Blank, uh, who's on this list. Tom Warner, who's also he's chairman of Fenway Sports Group. Uh, Mark Wilf, who owns the the Vikings and Orlando City SC. Uh, and then on the on the athlete side, just to, to name some of the big names here: Stephen Curry, Lewis Hamilton, Serena Williams. Andy Murray, Sidney Crosby, Larry Fitzgerald, Lewis Hamilton. There's a whole bunch. There's 60, more than 60 firms, athletes, and team owners who are part of this cap table, Scott. And I think it's two-pronged. One, you obviously get a lot of strategic expertise via people that own sports teams, via private equity firms that are invested in sports teams. And then on the athlete side, you get a lot of promotion, a lot of uh, marketing capacity. I think the release said that, that the, the social the total reach, social reach, there you 500 go. Yeah. million people on, on Twitter and Instagram. When you're trying to start an, a totally new sports property, which, which tomorrow golf is, it's a, it's a Monday night teamed golf event set in a, in a specific venue. It's going to look different than any, any professional golf event probably ever has in the history of the sport. When you're trying to get awareness out for that, it's going to really help. We're talking about Lewis five Hamilton simultaneous Super Bowl UK. audiences. Exactly. Yeah, you, it's going to help to have Lewis Hamilton tweeting about it in, in, in England and Steph Curry tweeting about it in the U.S. And, and Serena Williams and Andy Murray, who have global audiences as well. There's so much in here that I think is smart, both from a strategic investment standpoint and from a marketing and signal boosting standpoint. Um, and, and this is all coming together, by the way. January 2024 is, is when this this TGL Golf League is, is supposed to launch. So they've got more than 12 months to, 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 to iron all of this out. And my guess is this won't be the last investment that they put together, but a really impressive cap table. Yeah, you talked about strategics. How about Alexis Ohanian? That's Mr. Serena Williams. And uh, Dick Ebersol, you know, the former chairman of NBC Sports. And, you know, just like, um, uh, what's it, David Hill, I believe, is an advisor to Live Golf mm-hmm. and presentation. You know, Ebersol can certainly have a few things to say and, on how to present this on TV these days. So, yeah, and, you're, you're and right one there. other thing to add into the the strategics Connect Ventures, which is a private equity uh, venture partially done by CAA. XL Sports Management is in here too. One of the things this golf league needs is golfers, and I imagine having big talent agencies that are part of the cap table is also going to help them in that endeavor as well. All right. He is Evan Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I'm Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. And uh, go and check out that poll so we can cross the 50,000 mark by uh, by the time we check back later in the week. Our producer is Matt Whitehurst. We love what he does. Our digital media editor is Cora Veltman. She loves it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will soon become the Sportico Media Network. 